Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Subray, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And my guest today is singer and guitarist of the iconic Spoons, Mr. Gord Depp. Gord, how are you doing today? Good, good. This is going to be fun. I can't wait to talk about my influences. <laughs> yeah, no, this my is songs. great. Yeah. When we had talked initially, we had a little messaging exchange. You came up with your songs like pow, instantly. You know what? I don't know how that happened because the moment I got one, it kind of cascaded into the other. And I tried to sort of not, you know, people like expect them all, to, them all to be 80 songs. And I think there's maybe one in there. They really span across all kinds of decades and, and some pri- surprises, I think. Mm-hmm. But I like what you did here because this spans your time up until now, I believe, right? Right from childhood. Yeah, pretty well. And certainly, like everybody, certain songs stick with you for a lifetime. And sometimes you don't hear them again until you're older and go, and it reawakens all these feelings. And especially when you were young and music was so impressionable, right? You know, certain songs that uh, you hear them now, you might kind of say, oh, whatever. But as a child, they really hit you. So whenever you hear them, they're like a trigger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So before we get into those, Gord, uh, some people might not know now, and I didn't know this till recently, that you also play guitar with a flock of seagulls. How did, how did that yeah. come about? Yeah, really. I know. I've been their guitar player for the last three years and touring like crazy. They, even they said they haven't played as much since like 82 or something right now. <laughs> mental. You know, we, we do big 80s tours every, every summer and um, go to Europe and we played the the Greek theater last year and did the biggest 80 show in all time in, in Vegas with like 16 bands and oh, eight wow. hours. And so yeah, I met them actually originally or Mike anyway, very quickly in 82 students opened for the police. It was a thing called the police picnic yeah. at CNE grandstand in, in, uh, in Toronto. And it was the police talking heads, uh, Joan Jett, a bunch of bands and, and Slack of Seagulls and Spoons were the two young bands on the bill. And I remember Going there like a Talking Heads fan, but leaving, well, wow, this Flock of Seagulls band is really weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Especially the guitar playing, I found really intriguing. It was kind of like 80s riff rock, you know, the, the, the delays and choruses and stuff that I was kind of playing with. Yeah. Anyways, flash forward like 30-something years, uh, Mike came up for some charity thing up here in Mississauga. He didn't have a band with him. He'd just done the same thing in New York City with another band. And he said, well, whoever's playing that night, he didn't realize it was the spoon that he'd match back in 82. Oh. Um, maybe they could learn a couple of my songs and I'd just come up and, and do something. So we did. I remember him kept looking over at me, smiling, you know, like, oh, yeah. nice. Maybe he remembers me or something, <laughs> which, which yeah, I don't think he did. I guess he liked what he heard and he wasn't happy with the guy he had at the time. Like a year later, he calls me. I'm in Italy with my now wife having a pizza and a glass of wine on a piazza somewhere and I get this text on oh, Mike. He doesn't say much. He just gets right to the point. You want to join the band? <laughs> wow. I said, wait a like, what band? Who? <laughs> and it just worked out great. You know, this guitar playing for the Spoons and Flock is kind of similar. You know, yeah. same sensibilities. We both use kind of similar gear back then. So I pulled out all my 80s stuff. Wow. Old pedals and things to get those. T- and he was impressed because their last guy, great guitar player, session mm-hmm. guy, he kind of just took it in a different wrong direction, like gear wise and even sound wise. And no, you got to be, you got to be true to the original so i i, I kind of just brought back the old spoon stuff that i used to use and it was pretty well the same sound that's great it's good stuff and it's, it's, it's sort of come full circle i mean all those sounds and bands in general i think that's why younger bands are liking 80s music because a lot of the bands that are out now use a similar philosophy you know the same kind of these the back in the drum machines back in the synths you know back into the chorus you know which is affecting the guitar you kind of avoid it through the 90s you know? mm, yeah <laughs> but especially the 80s what a phenomenon to be part of it's just i think it's just another another genre that's here to stay it's not just a nostalgia thing 
Oh, there's no question. These things in terms of popularity might tend to be cyclical, but you know, they will never, ever go away. The eighties will never go away. Which is good or bad. And some people thinking, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the eighties is a strange time, right? You know, I was talking about Nova Heard earlier. You think about how people dressed and it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty extreme, right? Well, that's the thing. If you push away all that stuff, you know, the, the clothing and the hair and the shoulder pads yeah. and that kind of stuff, there's some really good music. There was a lot of diversity of music that I've never seen, you know, since. Like, in, I could walk down Queen Street in Toronto, there'd be a ska band in one place, be a punk band, another one would be a, some techno new wave band, the other would be a new romantic band, the other. Yeah. You know, just so much style. And, and it wasn't always about how great you were on your guitar just the kind of cool strange sounds you could squeak out of it and yeah, so that's why some of those songs have lasted so long you strip away all that excess stuff you know they're great songs i think you're right Gord. like particularly the beginning of the 80s you know you think about all the great bands and you touched on new romanticism you know the police um and and even you know the old rock that was kind of coming into its own in the in mm -hmm. the early 80s bands like u2 right and talking about innovation mm -hmm. with the edge using mm -hmm. that echoplex playing one yeah, note and exactly. four would come out. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Yeah, it was a, it was an exciting time to be in music because until that point, Sandy and I were prog rock nerds, big epic songs about whatever, and, you know, 20-minute songs with, with flute and, and, and mellotron <laughs> and acoustic guitar, and then I switched to electric halfway through because the song was 20 minutes long, whatever. <laughs> and I never thought in a million years that we'd ever be in a band that got airplane because we didn't care. Then when New Wave hit, we said, oh, you know, we'll just change a couple of things here and there. And we kind of fit in, especially with the British sort of darker stuff. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like like Ultravox and that kind of thing. Yeah. Sandy had mentioned when she was on the show that uh, you guys had started out as a as a prog rock band, which I think a lot of people don't know that either. Yeah, and we were, we were called Trist back then. Yeah. It wasn't Spoons, but it was Sandy and I right out of high school. I, I kind of avoided mainstream. I was a big fan of uh, of Gen or old Genesis, like really old stuff, and then weird bands like Vanagraph Generator and. General Giant and King yeah. Crimson and stuff like that. And just, you know, those the, the, my, my guitar hero was Steve Hackett from Genesis. Wow. Then later on, is this, you know, things came along. Then I got into like Richie Blackmore and stuff like that, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit different from rock and roll. But he too had sort of, he was like a darker guitar hero. You know, he wasn't the, the perky rock guy. He was, he, he had sort of flavors of that gothy vibe to me, to me anyway. He was very, oh, no, he did for sure. Brooding, you know? <laughs> yeah. In, in yeah. Deep Purple, in Rainbow. And then he went on to, what, what does he do now, Gord? He does like a sort of Celtic rock or something. Yeah. Or yeah. With like, with like 20 string guitars and strange instruments. And it's a shame because he was, to me, the most fluid, even more than Hendrix, I dare say, dare, and Hendrix is up, up there with him, but there's a really fluid, you know, he just had this weird, a beautiful vibrato thing that nobody else could do and just, he had his chops yeah oh he definitely did yeah so speaking of the old days 40th anniversary tour was to take place this year obviously canceled but um mm -hmm. you, you guys have been keeping busy so you you actually did a secret rooftop show on canada day didn't you yeah that's cool i know we, i've had other band other bands call us like the guy from strange advance called me recently he said what are you guys doing like you're busy how can you be busy now yeah. The moment this broke, this whole thing, I started getting creative. I, I was like a rat in a, in a box, you know, I had to think of things that, yeah. to do. And um, the, the Canada Day thing wasn't our idea, but it, it was sort of along the same lines because somebody figured out how to legally, you know, within the, the guidelines, do a rooftop show, kind of Beatles style, U2 style, mm -hmm. a flat roof down near the lake in Port Credit. 
sort of cordon off the streets, and it was great. Yeah, so we we're, we're trying to be creative. Like I said, driving things. We were talking about doing drive up, you know, I mean, float up shows with boats and marinas. Yeah. And you see people doing shows in hotels, and people book a room and, and sit on their balconies, and there's all kinds of things. I mean, especially with Flock of Seagulls, my, my year is shot with those guys. Yeah. So we were supposed to be on a, an 80s cruise, an all 80s cruise in the Caribbean. Oh, <laughs> and, no. I, and I knew something was up because we weren't originally on it, but first B-52s pulled out. Okay. And then uh, I think Brett Michaels or something like that and somebody else. And then they said, do you guys want to come? And they offered ridiculous money. And I thought, okay, this is good and bad. And there's something weird going on. Mm-hmm. And true enough, as, as the ships were coming into Miami around the time we were supposed to return, they were being turned back and, and it was a ship of like 3,600 people. It was going to be you know, a mess, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I, since then, I've missed so much stuff. You got to do what you got to do. Well, it's it's adaptability, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you survive this, you're going to be set when we're back to normal. We'll be ahead of the game, I think. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. It'll be interesting to, to see what the world looks like when this is over, actually, in, ter- in mm-hmm. terms of that adaptability. Well, I get both sides of it because my, my wife's a pharmacist. Okay. And Sandy's daughter is a, is a nurse. And um, that's, we, we, that's another thing we did. We did a couple of videos in isolation, two of them. One was in honor of the frontline workers because, you know, my wife and her daughter. And, and um, we, we hear that side of it as well. Like music and restrictions on me playing and going to the States. I mean, it's a bigger picture that I'm really well aware of. Yes. Yeah, that's a, I don't know if you were going to mention that. Now, we did a couple of great videos, like Landing Lights and then New Day, New World, which, yeah. what, how, how ironic is that title? That's from an album that came out last year. You know, lyrically, it's just perfect for this time. And we got like 60 people that we knew, mostly musicians from Flock of Seagulls, obviously, to Wang Chung, to Wang and Rome. We got Corey Hart, Klaus Tiger, lots of Curtis Joseph in there, and Ed the Sock. I mean, anybody you can think of, TV <laughs> personnel, sports people. And uh, we just have them filming from home, kind of Bob Dylan style, holding a sign, how they're coping or what they're thinking. Or Alan Frew had one and said, don't forget me when I'm home. You know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Wang great. Chung said, everybody stay home tonight. You know, but, <laughs> that was when they were really telling people to stay home. <laughs> um, yeah, so there again, we, we were able to make two videos in isolation mm-hmm. with just uh, home, you know, iPhones and whatever. Yeah, you make do. And, and you guys, mm-hmm. uh, you, you also took part recently in Back to the Basement, the project that was put on by uh, Abducted by the 80s, where you were at Sandy Horn's home and you yeah. um, socially distanced by putting yourself each in one room of the house. You're in the kitchen. Isn't that great? That, yeah. It's you know, awesome. Because I was thinking, I didn't want, I can't stand to watch another performance on TV with you know, the Zoom style with the four boxes. Mm hmm. It's just so bland. It's like, oh my God. It's like, we got to think of something. And Sandy, she has a studio at her house. We put us each in a different room. The drummer was in the living room. The keyboard player in one of the bedrooms. I was in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy in the dining room. And we had GoPros on each one of us, but we also had Sandy's daughter walking around with a mask on. Yes. <laughs> but a, an iPhone sort of going room to room. And, and it was totally live. It was all American and, mm-hmm. and European 80s bands, except us were the only Canadian. Saying, you guys stole the show. This is so cool. It, so that really, it really stood out and worked out great. The one with Mike was kind of cool, though, too, because the singer from Flag of Seagulls, he, he's in Liverpool right now. He was going to do it by himself in a studio. And then last minute, he said, Gord, can you just tape yourself on your iPhone um, and I'll do something with it to mix it together with my parts. Said, okay. Hmm. He's what he did. He took like a giant screen TV, like a 60 inch or something, put it side, like on its end. So it's as tall as he is beside him. Right. And me playing like right beside him. So it looks oh. like I'm kind of in a square. That's cool. <laughs> and this, and I was actually on CNN with that, which is, so I, I told everybody I made, made my CNN debut <laughs> and on, awesome. on ABC news and uh, places like that. And wow. Washington Post, because they said a bit of you know, levity and all this craziness yeah. so they had interviewed mike for and um, 
the guys from Wang Chung because they're the two main bands for this. And yeah, they, they showed that clip of me playing guitar with Mike in a giant TV set. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Wow. See, adaptability, innovation. I love it. Yep. Yeah, Mike was saying, you know, he, he you know, he's a little bit older. He's, he likes to stay home. He says, why don't you do a concert or a tour like that? You know, I'll stay home or just be on TV screens on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Not quite the same. All right, Gord, you have got uh, some great songs here. Are you ready to get into them? Yeah. I, ho- I hope I don't shock some people with some of my choices. No, this is cool. You know, obviously, like a lot of current stuff. I like a lot of 80s stuff, but I, I went for the songs that... The moment I hear the name, it kind of evokes something, you know, it's, mm-hmm. whether it was when I was a kid or now or forever, you know, some songs will never lose their, their effect on me. Yeah. So the first one here, we'll start with uh, The Verve and Lucky Man from Urban Hymns. Yeah. I mean, I think I've come to the conclusion that The Verve is my favorite band in the world. Right ah, now. nice. It's just, so they had to put one of their songs in there. We got married last year, just in October. Luckily, we did it last year, you know, this year. My yeah. wife, Megan, and I, you know, and we got married in, in Florence. How beautiful is that? And nice. We had like a little wedding there and then brought it back here. But that was one of the songs we had played on, on violin on the rooftop of this hotel in Florence overlooking the city. And in general, that band, they weren't one of the bands I probably would have noticed, you know, because they're coming out of the 80s. But as I've grown musically, they, they've taught me a few things that I've actually applied to Spoons. They're kind of masters of the slow build. You know, yeah. The way which you're at, where Ash, Ashcroft draws out a song and stretches it and the grooves and stuff and just something really where i think they took over from me you know i used to love oasis i still do but they kind of nudged them out of the way a little bit and and but lucky man is just a, you know it's a good representation i don't want to pick bittersweet because everybody would pick that one mm. the funny way it's kind of part of the movement that kind of pushed the 80s out of the way that whole manchester sound and yes. you know and of course uh seattle grunge thing but manchester had their own scene in the in the 90s and that's right yeah and then it took me a while to, to really come around to loving it yeah, so yeah. It, it started off as, as a bad thing. Now it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, it was great. The Charlatans, part of that. Um, yeah, it, it, for the, sure. Ma- the Madchester scene, it was called, yeah. And Spiral Carpets. And, yeah. Uh, and there's bigger bands, too, that I just can't think of them right now. But Yeah, and I'm glad you said that about Oasis, because the verb for me is kind of like my preferred oasis i know that you know some people might throw rocks at me for that but i you know bittersweet's one thing but like lucky man they have this way of like you said it's very atmospheric and there's a bit of a melancholy yeah there, and you know and they can be so beautiful it sounds like sonnets you know yeah. and, or then they can really rock like this is music and that kind of thing you know, yeah just, just grinding one chord pretty well like nobody else it's so effortless. It's not trying. It's just him. That's right. He's kind of this grumpy guy. You I mean, if everybody remembers the video of him walking down the street for, yeah. and for, I think, bittersweet, pushing people out of his way. That's right. <laughs> and you're thinking, he must be another Liam Gallagher yeah. you know, with his attitude and stuff. I don't know what he's like in person, but he don't care. He's just, he's just great. Yeah. yeah. So next, you've actually got an Oasis song here, so Don't Look Back in Anger is next. They were pretty much my favorite band of all time until the verb. They still both are. And I thought Noel was the, um, the genius in the band. He, he is a certain degree, but his brothers come up with some amazing stuff on his own, mm-hmm. especially on, on his solo career. Those guys were just the perfect rock pop band. And, and as I sort of hinted on coming out of the, the 80s and being upset for a little while because it meant nothing for a while, you know? And when Oasis came around, they like saved me. This is great. This is I don't need synthesizers. I can live with great guitars and great melodies. And, and for anybody who's a Beatles fan, you know, they're kind of the the current beefed up rockier more attitude version of the Beatles in a way you know that's right and I love that scene I, I've always had a fascination for all things British growing up you yeah. know and I think that's why there's a couple of British bands in here not just the, the music it's just 
TV, you know, from the Avengers growing up to the yeah. prisoner TV series. That, oh yeah. And all these things that affected my lyrics and, and uh, a certain sound and attitude that totally different than America. Um, and these guys captured it. I mean, how more British can you get than Oasis? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in your face, soccer hooligan type of thing. I think Oasis and Verbal always be at the top sort of juggling back and forth there. First mm-hmm. place, I guess. Yeah. So you said the prisoner earlier, British television. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Richie Blackmore, you've, you've obviously heard of Iron Maiden. Do you know about the number of the beast thing with Iron Maiden, the prisoner? They, they kind of played off of that for the, for the album or? Yeah. They, they wrote a song called the prisoner, but they, they had voiceovers from like, a, like a sampling of, uh, like I'm not a number. I'm a free man. That's it. That's it. That's exactly. That's how the song yeah, starts. Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? Uh, it's great. You know what? Well, we did the same thing with our first, not voiceovers, but our very first album, Stick Figure Neighborhood, yeah. which is kind of almost like the village in a way, as um, anybody knows the show where he's kept captive in this village. But Stick Figure Neighborhood is kind of like that. It's about suburbia, but it's also kind of a prison, you know, especially as a young band coming out of Burlington. It's like our little fake little world they have to break out of. It's almost like the Truman Show, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, a perfect little. <laughs> and that's what the village was like. And that's so our first album, Stick Figure Neighborhood, it was kind of a tribute to number six. It actually has no a, a thank you on the, on the back. It says, you know, thank you to all these musical people. Then it says, oh, and to number six for inspiration. No way. Yeah. And if you go on, here's another cool thing. Maybe yeah. people don't know this, but on vinyl, especially in the old days, on the middle ring around, you know, where the, the label is on a, on a, yeah. on a record, yeah. there's usually a number there that's etched by hand, okay. by the lacquering place. Yeah. And sometimes if you were there, they would let you put something there, like write it in. Seriously? Yeah. Well, look at some of your old albums. You'd be amazed what you find. Oh, and he said, wow. do you want to want to put there? And I thought, I couldn't think of anything. So I kind of made the A side the first episode of the prisoner and the B and the second side, the, the other side. So the, if you look carefully, it says arrival, which is no the first episode. Way. And if you look on the back side, it says departure. I don't think the, I don't think the last one is called departure, but that it just made sense for this. Yeah. So, and it's funny who you meet when, when we do these eighties tours last year, we, like I said, go anywhere from 10 to 15 bands. The vapors were on the bill. Oh, nice. Turning you know, Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. And the guy walks in the first day, and we hit it off immediately because he was wearing a prisoner T-shirt. What? <laughs> yeah, and he was like right from there. He's been there many times. <laughs> you know, it's it's in Wales actually, where the prisoner village is. And yeah, he had a prisoner T-shirt on. So, oh, so wherever wow. we talk or, or online or stuff, we always make little references to that. And actually, and here we go is another one. Nick Feldman, the um, second half of Wang Chung, he's the tall bass player guy. Mm-hmm. He just recently commented something we were talking about the prisoner. His aunt or grandmother or something okay she did the voice for the um intercom every morning you know no when he would way. get up yeah you know it'd say like good morning citizens today's flavor of ice cream is strawberry you know that's kind of creepy like yeah voice that that was that was <laughs> they, were, they all have connections to the prisoner wow anyways that, the prisoner and i, I talk about i have a book out too called spoon fair anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants to get all the juice on the spoons and i call it my 50 shades of spoons as a joke because <laughs> it's not really a tell-all book it's more like a Stephen King novel, like how the world affects a young kid to be directed to music and how the funniest things will affect you from, you know, Disney to the Twilight Zone and the prisoner. You know, mm-hmm. so anyways, I'm rambling on. Wow, no, we, we went off on a tangent there for sure. <laughs> but that was cool. So next, uh, you've got, this is an interesting pick. This is Jason Wade, You Belong to Me from the Shrek soundtrack. Yeah, I like that very, it's not, it's not, not his song. It's an old standard. I think it's been done many times. I think Dean Martin did it, but it was originally done. Geez, I should look it up. It's an old crooner kind of song. Okay. But the way um, it really hit me, because when I heard the original, it didn't strike me the same way as his version, because it's just him and a acoustic guitar, and he's got a really sort of um, vulnerable, raspy voice in it. 
example. I have one other one on my list, I think, of just classic old songs that are just pure bliss, like lyrically and, and melody-wise. They just give me, like, warm, fuzzy feeling. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Another reference to TV because you know I'm a TV nut and growing up as a kid, I'll never forget the final episode of Johnny Carson's show. If you're a Johnny Carson fan, you know what I mean. I mean yeah. That was a big part of our lives. That's like yeah. Ed Sullivan when we were younger, kind of thing that brought the family together around the TV set. And last episode, farewell for Johnny. It was kind of an emotional night. I remember Bette Midler coming on, yep. and she sang an acapella version of that song and brought everybody to tears. It's just including for that moment. Yeah, I watched it was that. Brilliant. Oh. It just it, it tugs at your heartstrings. It could be you know your partner, it could be your parent, it could be anybody. It's just a or Johnny Carson. <laughs> it's a really strong song, and he did it really well in that version, the Wade version. You say listen to the original one with uh, whoever did it, Bobby Bobby Vinton or something <laughs> with a, kind of a big band kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's a bit more flashy, you know. Yeah. And I found that even with Spoon songs. When we stripped down songs like Nova Heart, take away the electronics. Oh, yeah. I used to do them at halftime acoustically. You should check it out, the versions out there. Oh, my God. All of a sudden, there's so much more meaning to the, the lyrics and yeah. and the whole other feeling that goes behind it. So sometimes the remake of a song, can you make it notice more than the original? Well, and, and cast it in an entirely new light, really, right? And yes. you're, you're receiving it a different way emotionally. But mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. And it was a sad movie in Shrek, too, I think, where Shrek feels like he's not going to get the Princess Fiona or whatever it is. <laughs> I vaguely remember the movie because that was when I, my kids were young, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, would be, it was a nice moment. Yeah. Um, Proko Harem is next, and uh, Whiter Shade of Pale There's an old classic. Yeah. I mean, there's a band that's, geez, I don't remember that song. It's from obviously the 60s, I think, and they were kind of a little prog rock, you know? in a way they're very dark and brooding and that's not your average pop song oh my god you know that's like that's like an opera that thing you know oh yeah and um certain songs when you grow up you know you get you get the bug or you, what do you call it the hook is stuck in your head and you can't get it yeah. usually it's a melody but that's one of the first examples of where somebody used lyrics like in a way that i never knew before like very just before i discovered you know progressive rock like genesis obviously and i was very young but those lyrics, like, they take you different places. They're like, they're not just singing about sitting under the moon with your girlfriend. They're right. like, you know, it's just a surreal kind of dreamlike yes. sequences. Yeah, I mean, so that got me, I think as a lyricist, because I, I started writing, you know, singing songs and lying in a bed as a kid, making yeah. up words, driving my parents crazy. And, yeah. and they, they kind of had a similar kind of lyric to them. That song definitely takes you away. And, and it, it's one of those really, for its time, it was, it's really keyboard heavy. You yeah. know, where most of the stuff at the time was very guitar and drums. and So that's like a, just a big organ and very slow and, and grinding. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an epic. It's one of the best songs ever written, I think. The lyrics paint a picture. And I mean, you know, you're talking about being younger. I think that there's a certain time in your life where you're completely dialed in, completely hypersensitive to receiving things like that. And I, I, I know mm-hmm. that I certainly was. And certain songs come to you at certain times of your life and you just, you key into them, right? And you never forget that sensation. Yeah, absolutely. Especially something like that. I mean, there are pop songs that stick with you, but as far as songs go, that was an epic, right? You think of the scope of it. And I think that got me on the road to wanting to be in a band like that, you know? I wanted to do something big and grand and majestic and, you know? Yeah. I mean, we obviously wrote some poppy songs too, but like with Arias and Symphonies and Nova Hearts, we tried to be kind of big and symphonic. And you succeeded. Uh, Yeah. I hope so. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Spins is an iconic Canadian band. For that reason. That's one of the reasons why, I believe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
next, so swinging back the other way, is when in Rome, the promise. The only 80s song that really got in there. It's just, th- those guys are on the on the tours that we do every year, and they become good friends, those guys from when in Rome. Mm-hmm. And um, that song is like my favorite song of the night. Again, it's, it's two kinds of songs, and sometimes I even write albums that way. I think, you know, this is our sort of light, um, have fun album, you know, like, my traffic so it sort of doesn't tug at you very much but then we do other albums that kind of go deep and get you sort of you know i guess give you goosebumps or make you feel emotional or, yeah. or, that's definitely one of those 80s songs you know it's, it's not like a whip it by devo or something it's a great <laughs> song too but it's just like it's like an epic too it's like on the scale of whiter shade of pale when you hear live it's a big beautifully crafted song and and, and there's kind of a cool thing going there too which i kind of admire they have two two lead singers trade off lines one guy sings high the other one sings low and yeah you know, it was, it was it was hard to pick one eighty song, but you know, and it's kind of the same. You can see my songs all had sort of a big anthemy vibe to them. You know, they're sort of a big. I didn't go for the the straight rock and roll or no. pop songs. You know, this is kind of in that category, I think. But you know, one thing I did notice about this list is that they all contain a certain level of sentiment, as this one does. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, see, you know, these things. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Just, right. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that right off the bat. I think that's fantastic. I'm a very sentimental person. That's me. Yeah. Well, music enables that, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's, I guess, a tool for sentimental people or emotional people or some of these crazy people. You know, just, Certainly. I think it's, it's a plus when it comes to, to being creative. So. It allows for this connectivity between people, I find. I've always found that about music, and I've, I've always been fascinated about that as, yeah. as it relates to music. That's why I don't understand sometimes when you hear music, maybe more than newer stuff, that you listen to it and it leaves you flat. You know, it's got a good Greek groove to it. You don't feel anything. It doesn't sound like the singer is feeling anything. Nobody's feeling anything. It's just they've recorded the parts and yeah, it's sort of predictable and yeah, same old thing. And, and But there's no vibe. I'd rather hear somebody sing out a key a little bit and have feeling and reality and, you know, like imperfect and real. That was one of the songs from our albums. It's, it's hard to find these days. And, on the show, we talk about that all the time, and the mistakes and the blemishes can be what make performances truly great. You know, you go back in history and think about all those mm-hmm. old records, you know, especially yeah. the live ones, and the true spirit of the album yeah. comes through, through oftentimes, you know, the mistakes being left in, because yeah. it just adds to the authenticity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you just set up my point perfectly with this this last tune because I it's as time goes by with Dooley Wilson when I saw this on your list I thought it's that song from Casablanca play it again Sam you know mm-hmm. and I love that you know that you have this on here because those old classics do churn up that sentiment and they, they yeah. don't they don't leave you flat and you know what I love about this song and, and a lot of the the old classics actually Gord is that they have a very even and pronounced vibrato in the vocal performances you know you think of a song like to Sir with love by lulu mm-hmm. they just have that really like they mean it you know what i mean the singer means it i know and and, and a lot of those voices like his voice in that is from the movie because the movie's old and, and a little shaky but when you see it but it's just kind of vulnerable and rough and yeah you know that song we're talking about sentimentality that's like the ultimate i think oh, of yeah. all time almost yeah, for you sure. know? definitely and even if you haven't seen the movie i mean it helps if you see the movie but uh, and it was that, I can't remember. Was that um, who wrote that song? It was written by was, a guy. His name starts with an H. This is written in 1931. Holy, Holy Carmichael. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a great. What a writer! But that song, I mean, and lyrically too, it's kind of like um, "You Belong to Me." You know, paints these pictures, exotic places, and yeah, and that's what Casablanca was all about. Like this imaginary city, Casablanca, which is a real city, I guess, but not like that. And and it just, oh, it's just, and and whenever I hear it, I'm 
the transport it back to that, those scenes in the movie, but also back to a childhood when you hear things like that and you're overwhelmed. You know? Oh, yeah. And that's the sad thing about getting older with anything you do in life. You lose that childhood appreciation or effect of things on you. Like, no, it's not necessarily being jaded. It's just repetition, right? It's like mm-hmm. be- the Beatles could be your favorite band in the world, but once you've heard, you know, Hey Jude, thousands of times, it gets a little... But when you first hear these things, I, I wish there was a switch, you know, especially as a songwriter, you switch it and you're back to the beginning again. You, yeah. write, you write with a clean slate and, and really fresh. And to hear things like that would be amazing too, to be affected by, by music and, and movies and, and painting, whatever, when you were just vulnerable and not judgmental really about things yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, but that song, man, no matter what. There's certain things, like, you know, you go back and see a movie you think was the best movie you ever saw as a kid growing up. And you watch it now, you go, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but other stuff, like I said, The Twilight Zone, I, my God, I get this. It's so raw and cheap production, but yeah. it affects me in the same creepy way. And then this song and other ones on the list, they like they were so well done. Or they're so deeply, you know, embedded in my brain somewhere that they're forever, you know, make me sit up and go, Wow. I've said before that I feel lucky that we were born during the time that we were just because of this mm-hmm. reason alone, you know, I'm going to sound like that old man shaking his fist, but like, no, no. I really keyed into what you said about songs leaving you flat now, you know, yeah. I, I mean, there are good ones. I mean, Casey Musgraves and slow burns is a great example of, of something mm-hmm. recent that kind of gets you, but yeah. um, nothing in my opinion will ever replace something as time goes by or to serve with love or the, those yeah. old, you know, there's just a certain yeah. comfort there. Yeah. I, I don't know what to, what to blame. I mean, there's a couple of things is obviously people's attention span is shorter. Like mm-hmm. you guys get, get them really fast and then we only listen once or twice. And plus, I mean, think of all the great songs that have been written over time. I mean, all those great ideas are bound to get used up. That's right. There's like, only 12 like, notes, right? Yeah, that's why sometimes you listen to a great song, you strip it down, and go, "Oh my God, this is this is um, yesterday by the Beatles," but they, you know, as a basis, but they just built on it or changed it slightly, or oh, yeah. that's why it affected me. You know, it's like there's only so many notes in a scale, there's only so many emotions, there's only so many things. It's tough, you know, and and those are the masters. Like Prince was a good is a good example of that. I, you know, I wasn't a huge Prince fan, but man, he could take three chords that have been used a billion times and and make something new out of them. And those are the writers I really respect who don't have to be a virtuoso writer or whatever, but they just take very simple things and just put enough of a twist on it to go, wow, this guy, he gets it. You don't, like you say, you don't hear that very often. No, you don't. So those melodies, you know, you can use a a standard GCD progression, but like it's, it's all about the melody and the delivery of that melody, I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, Gord, thank you so much, man. This has been a great chat. Yeah, it was very good. It was like therapy. (laughs) (laughs) People have said that before on the show. It's funny that you say that, but it's true. Music is therapeutic in that way, right? It allows us to share ourselves with each other. Well, I mean, I heard a thing not so long ago, and some study or something said there were three things in life that were kind of necessities or needs that all share the same kind of satisfaction and yearning and whatever. But, and they were obviously food, mm-hmm. you know, because you need to survive, but you enjoy it too. Yep. The other one is sex. Again, you, you enjoy it, but it's also, you need it for procreation and to keep the planet going, whatever. Mm-hmm. And somehow, strangely, music kind of fit in the same bill somehow. Uh, yeah. That's why I always said, you know, if, when the aliens come, they're come. They're going to go to the musicians and say, you guys are the cool guys. You, get, you guys get it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to kill you last. that's right write us a good song and then we'll kill you (laughs) that's great it's true it's funny because Mike Mike score uh, we we do a lot of long drives and talk and 
he's a very quiet guy and he's actually very, you know again he's a very simple writer but his ideas are fresh that's what i like about him he's like mm-hmm. they said something a little bit different than other people at the time but anyways his song nova heart and i mean our song nova heart and his song iran came out within weeks of each other yeah if you listen to them very sim- similar like tari sort of coursey delay things yep. uh, the drum machines whatever and they both have sort of space inspired lyrics to them you know yeah. it starts off i walk along the avenue and then nova heart is a gentleman of the world i walk your streets along you know it's like what oh, I mean, right away wow. it's like, and then the chorus dips down like in both songs and then it's about his is sort of about abduction i guess alien abduction or something and yeah. and ours was about nova heart is kind of like an all-encompassing spiritual space thing it's like i was inspired by science fiction like isaac asimov as i was a kid mm-hmm. arthur c clark's childhood and stuff like that so not your average pop songs right so i said to mike i think that year in 82 when we wrote the songs we were both abducted by the same alien <laughs> <laughs> and this is what came out of it <laughs> so <laughs> what what good or bad came out of it, i don't know but there's something something going on there well we should be thankful to the aliens then because uh, we get two great songs out of it no, thanks. <laughs> oh, Gord, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun oh, for good. me. Yeah. I didn't ramble too much, and you probably have to edit it down quite a bit. But no, yeah. God, no. It's fantastic. That's the, This is the place to ramble. Okay, good. All right. Well, thanks for this. It was great. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thanks so much. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Gordon Depp of The Spoons. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.